This is Cody Robbins from Live to Hunt with Cody and Kelsey, and you're listening to Joby and Shed with the Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on Foshi Creek Podcast. You're listening to Joby and Shed on the Foshi Creek Podcast. It's not as good to speak the language, but it's close. <laughs> You're listening to the Foshi Creek Podcast. Uh, I'm Joby Holland. With me is a co-host, Mr. Shed Whitaker of Mossy Oak. Uh, in today's episode, we have Mr. Matt Welge. We've, uh, you know, primarily have, uh, to this point, have been all hunting related, and we'll continue to be hunting related today because we got the Whiskey Hunter uh, with us, Mr. Matthew Welge so, of Naperville, Illinois. Matt, uh, good to have you with us. Well, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. It's, it's uh, exciting to, have, to be on today. And you know we we do the hunting podcast, and I've got some turkey podcasts coming up. We've done some you know deer hunting podcasts, which I do a lot of, but still, uh, I mean it's a little more my arena. But I still don't know a whole lot about the stuff we talk about. I sure don't know when it comes to whiskey like like you do. So looking forward to to hearing what you know about it, kind of how it's taken off and and grown, and the excitement around it. Probably a little different it was at one time. But just give us a background, Matt, of who you are yourself and kind of what got you into the world of whiskey yeah sure well i'm i'm a physical therapist i, I live in naperville and i think what got me started I'd, I'd always liked drinking whiskey every now and then and had a glass of whiskey once in a while but uh my wife and i started drinking wine when we first got married and we would often have a bottle of wine with our dinner or go out to eat and order a bottle of wine with the meal and i started to kind of pick up the the nuances, the, the flavors of whether it be the oak or, you know, different spices in the wine. And, and even today, I can still appreciate a good glass of wine and, and probably kind of tell the difference between different, you know, types of, of grapes and that kind of thing. So it was a natural progression to go from from wine and into tasting those uh, those flavors and into whiskey. But but really, it's a it's a it's a story of, of getting older. And uh, going from uh, two or three beers on a on a Tuesday night, maybe, and and just feeling so full and so bloated, and and uh, and noticing that scale just keep on creeping up and up and up, <laughs> I, I I quickly realized that I could have a glass of whiskey, and and really only be you know drinking about about this much, you know, liquid, maybe an ounce or two, and and not nearly feel. Uh, the, the bloated fullness that you know two or three cans can can give you. I was having I was having some pretty uh, bad acid reflux and and type of things too. And and I noticed uh, you know about 2019. I know time flies with 2020 being kind of a blur, but but 2019 I, I started a New Year's resolution that I was gonna drink more whiskey. Quit, yeah, going to quit <laughs> uh, drinking beer and and just kind of see how long I could go and. I think I made it till till about April. What I what I realized one was that was dumb, you know. First of all, <laughs> gotta get back on the horse. But two was that I didn't really need uh, to drink a lot of beer to, um, you know, to enjoy my evening. And the acid reflux is all but gone. I don't have any issues whatsoever now, and and uh, which is kind of weird because you know, at at its core, whiskey is a lot stronger, a lot, you know, a lot more. Um, to the taste buds and probably to the stomach than than that beer, but you know maybe it's just the the amount that yeah, I'm drinking. Well, whiskey less. may just burn all that out, you know, so you can't have acid reflux. Just burn it up in there. 
<laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so I'm, you know, I'm down about 12 pounds from my heaviest and able to still keep, keep that, uh, dram or two once in a while in, in my, uh, in my regular routine. But, uh, I, I enjoy a glass of beer once in a while, but, uh, not, not quite like I used to. So that, that's why I've kind of got into more, uh, whiskey and, and I started a, a Facebook group basically solely on the purpose of kind of keeping track of, of what I was tasting and what I liked, what I didn't like, and kind of uh, amongst friends here that we would kind of gather if it was a good night to sit around the fire pit and we would all bring one bottle. And that way we could kind of taste what everyone brought and, and not have to purchase, you know, five or six bottles. We could just have a taste of each of each one of, of our bottles. And it, it kind of grew from that to then um, me acquiring a little bit more of a, my palate and, and learning the nuances and then documenting that stuff. And then um, just the group um, showing appreciation for, for that and, and maybe helping them along with their journey too, because they're reading my report and reading my, my, uh, my tastings and, and helping them to make their decision along the way. So I saw something you had posted at one time. I don't know if it ended up panning out or you end up doing it or not as far as an NCAA tournament sending whiskeys to each other and things like that. Have you done some things like that? It's, it sounded interesting. Yeah, yeah actually, we, we did. I, I did get enough interest where I, I have one more box to get out to um, to the 12th person, and then we're going to start with some Zoom meetings. We're going we're gonna to taste. I got 12 people. I'm sorry, I got 11 people uh, involved. We're going we're gonna to taste 12 uh, different whiskeys. I, I poured out um, little two ounce bottles. It, it worked out pretty well that, uh, one bottle pretty much fills up those, you know, 12, two ounce bottles. And then we are going to taste four at a time. And then I've got a bracket set up and then we'll have one winner out of the, each of those groups of four. And then we'll have one more meeting for, for the, the three that won to be kind of the champion and we'll all vote together. And then I'll release in the end what the bottles are because everyone's tasting blind. No one knows except for me what maybe what they bought, but then what everyone else, you know, brought along to the. So it's the um, it's the inaugural Malt Madness tournament. <laughs> is, what we're calling it. Now, so. is that a is that a, a group of whiskey from bottom shelf to top shelf or is it you, you can't even say? I let everyone pick their own bottle, and I, I can say without revealing too much that we got a wide range. We got some some very generous people that uh, spent uh, eighty or ninety bucks on a bottle, and then we got some people that only dropped about fifteen dollars and are hoping that it might slide in there as a <laughs> as a quiet sleeper that you know might be the you know might be the the sleeper for the tournament. So yeah, we'll see. Now, is the winner going to be based on like? The last man standing, or what? What do you base? Uh, what's the competition based on? We're it's it's going to be kind of trial and error here. I, this is my first time doing this, so we're going to see how it goes. But we'll have four glass. We'll have four glasses. We'll we'll pour out you know half of the bottle because we'll have to save the other half for a potential winner. But then we'll just go by by tastings. Um, I'll just have them vote, and we'll probably do like five, three, one, and zero for the first place, second place, and everyone will vote um, what they think, and then I'll tally the votes, and we'll have a winner. So, and then that winner will go on to the to the final championship round, and that's why we'll have to save half the half the 
little jar for the championship. And then the three losers, they can drink those on their own and, you know, kind of maybe guess of what they think it might be or, you know, take notes on what they like and what they don't like. So then when I reveal the bottles in the end, then they'll know everything. So tell us a little bit about the, the art of, of whiskey hunting, what all that encompasses and entails. And, you know, it seems to me from outsider looking in, like you mentioned wine earlier and, and, and that's been more of a, a thing, I guess, you know, where you swirl it, smell it, all that. I haven't, I haven't done that, but I mean, I know that's part of that. Whiskey to me seemed like something that you used to drink to get where you needed to get a little bit quicker. And <laughs> most of it bottom shelf, you know, whatever, whatever it took and, uh, and do it cheaply. And it's just really evolved and changed. It's more of a social thing now, kind of as you're talking about your, your tournament there. So talk to us a little bit about how it's evolved and, and the art of whiskey hunting. What is all that? Yeah, sure. Well, it, it definitely has changed. Um, even from when I was uh, first just dabbling in it and I, I'd have, maybe one bottle in my cabinet just for a special occasion or, or maybe just to have after dinner. And I, I remember seeing things like the, the elusive Peppy Van Winkle. Everyone knows how hard it is to get Peppy Van Winkle. And I would see it on the shelf and I would pass it by and didn't even think about it. And, and now, now we all know uh, more and, and we all know how rare that is. And, and uh, there's definitely uh, two sides. I think there's two sides to it. There's, there's the side of, people wanting to get into it and wanting to, you know, learn more about it and, and to teach each other about it. There's a good group of, of YouTube uh, channels and, and podcasts that are devoted purely to what you're saying, to nosing and tasting whiskey and offering their advice on whether they would buy at a bar, whether they would, you know, purchase the whole bottle or whether they would just, you know, pass it completely. And, and uh, a lot of those podcasts and, and community uh, YouTube channels, they're, they're very welcoming and they're very inviting to anyone who might be a newbie. Then there's, then there's the ones that, that like to, you know, thumb their nose up to it and, and like to show off their collection and like to, uh, like to make money off of it. The, the secondary market is huge. Uh, you know, that's when you buy a bottle either because you maybe know someone in distribution or you've got an in on a liquor store owner or something and you buy a bottle that's hard to get or allocated and then you just turn right around and then you post on Facebook hey I want to I want to sell this for for 10 times the value or whatever and um, you know those, those kind of things a lot of us purists don't don't really appreciate too much and and while I have acquired uh, some whiskey uh, through secondary market I, I try to avoid it completely because it's just it ends up being uh, not really worth, you know, the money that you spent on it. Because like, like you said, there's still really good value in, um, in bottom shelf whiskey. You know, there's, there's some great ones that you can get for under 20 bucks that, especially if you're, if you're new to it and getting into it, there's no need to drop that much money on it. So. Now, now what is, I, I've tried Pappy Van, Van Winkle before and and I just know it tastes like whiskey. I was talking. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, I know it's whatever it is, eighty dollars a shot or a hundred dollars, whatever it was." But I tried it. Is there a? I guess you could say, is there a sin that you should not do with whiskey, like seven and seven, or you know, Crown and Coke, or Crown and Sprite? Is there? Is there when when you're tasting it? Is everything purely just on the rocks, or are you guys mixing it, or? I like it mixed. That's just me, but yeah, I, I, 
I think the best answer is, is, is that if, if anyone's telling you how to drink whiskey, you should go drink with somebody else because, <laughs> there is well, I've told everybody how to drink before at one time or another. It's mostly you're not drinking enough. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you're not sick yet. There, there, there is no wrong way to do it. And, and to be honest, you know, for a lot of people, that's the only way to get into it. Uh, whiskey by itself, you know, neat in a glass by itself. It is so strong. It's got a pungent bite to it. And if you were to do that fresh off uh, from just wine or beer, you're, you're probably not going to be able to stick it out. You're probably going to just be disenchanted and, and move on to something else. So uh, a lot of people get into it with mixing with ginger ale or mixing with coke and then you know the only uh financial waste i see is is spending a lot of money on a really expensive whiskey and then just putting coke in it because because that i mean because you're not really tasting the whiskey at that point you're just you know so if you're gonna do that i say go for it you know um something like uh an evan williams single barrel you know that's less than $25 and that's going to give you a good uh, bite of that rye spice without, without running too, too much, uh, too much money. And then uh, the other one, the Evan Williams bottled and bond, that's a hundred proof. So a little more punch, it might stand up to, to a cocktail or to a, you know, whiskey and soda. So yeah, that's the wrong way. When you're testing these whiskeys, are you doing anything to, to clean your palate between each whiskey you try? Usually when I crack a bottle open for the first time, I don't have anything else open. I just have a, I got a glass of water and I, and I got a notepad uh, just to write down some notes. My, my first impression of, of what I'm smelling and, and what I'm getting from, from, the, from the whiskey itself. And usually you're going to get a, a good amount of, of oak, quintessential flavors like toffee, honey, different things like uh, butterscotch maybe. But the, the quintessential for bourbon anyway, uh, for a bourbon whiskey is caramel, vanilla, oak. Those are the quintessential things. Something a little bit different, like a like a single malt scotch. You know, this is a Port Charlotte Isla single malt scotch. That's going to be a real strong, smoky, peaty kind of a kind of a whiskey. So you're gonna you're gonna nose that, and you're gonna get campfire. You're gonna get you know ash and smoke and phenols like you. Like you just opened up a barbecue pit and you're sticking your head in there, you know. So those things are just kind of what your what your what your tastes are. But for me, initially, nothing else, just the glass, uh, notepad, and then I'm going to write down my notes. And then after that, then I'll look up what other folks have said, other reviews, and I'll see what compares, you know, how it differs. But I, I never write down anything more than than what I'm feeling, what I taste, and what I smell. So yeah, it's it's a personal thing. It's whatever you like. Yeah. Now, Port Charlotte sounds like it'd be good to have around a, a deer camp or a barbecue or something like that. But I don't know, is that high, is that fairly high end, uh, the Port Charlotte you showed there? Yeah, it's going to run in the upper 60s, $68, something like that. Um, but there there are plenty of good peated whiskeys uh, with that smoky flavor that you can get for less than 60 You know, Ardbeg is a single malt, and it just sounds like something a pirate would say, Ardbeg, you know? <laughs> Then, then there are blends, you know, there are blended scotches like Johnny Walker. Everyone's heard of Johnny Walker, but if you get like a Johnny Walker black or a Johnny Walker green label, those are blended whiskeys. So you're going to get a little bit of peated scotch mixed in with unpeated scotch. And that way it's going to 
maybe a stepping stone your way into the peated world because a, a single malt, it's going to be a strong smoke influence. Now, now what do you mean by peated? Well, peat is what they use to uh, help give it that smoky flavor. So now what they'll do is they'll go up into the land of Scotland and they'll actually dig out a piece of earth and okay. it's years and years and years of that mossy uh, grainy pasture that's just condensed itself down into this packed earth that it looks like dirt when they dig it out but they'll burn that and there's so much root there's so much plant life in that compressed uh, earth that it'll burn and it'll burn these huge furnaces that then the smoke rises up into the what they call the the malting room and that's where the malt will germinate and they'll have to uh, let that malt just lay out on that floor while the smoke right you know just floats along that that barley and it, when that barley starts to germinate that's you know that's basically what malting malting barley is is that it starts to germinate and then it's ready to be mashed and milled into that into that powder that then turns into eventually turns into whiskey. And it's amazing how that smoke will stick with that that malted barley all the way through the process of grinding it and milling it and mashing it and fermenting it all the way to that that clear, you know, that clear dissolute you see still has that smoke. It's amazing how that science works. Well, Shed and I were to come over this evening, and it probably won't be this evening. It'll be a little trip for both of us, but hypothetically, how many bottles you get on the shelf or in your home right now? Well, I, I don't like to brag, and I'm still very much, uh, an, you know, an amateur at this, um, but I've got about 14 bourbons. I've got about uh, eight or nine rye whiskeys, and I have uh, four or five Irish whiskeys, and then I've got uh, four or five Scots, four or five Scottish whiskeys. Now, now where would, like I said, I, I don't know much about this. What about, like, tequila and vodka they would be completely separated from whiskey side of things well yeah i mean it's it's still going to be a a a a spirit you know and and some of the tequilas that you can get into they can be aged in barrels so they can give you some of that barrel influence too uh it's interesting how how that tequila is um you know a, a emerging market as well too because they're they're finding newer ways to to, to make that stuff. And it's great how um, whiskey is starting to be aged in wine barrels and they're starting to use rum barrels and rum is starting to use tequila barrels and they're starting to mix and match and, and different things to, to, to offer different variations of different things. And, you know, um, a typical Irish whiskey is aged in used bourbon barrels. So they will take bourbon barrels that once had bourbon in it in the U.S., and then they will ship them over and they'll put the Irish whiskey in those. But they'll also use Oloroso sherry casks and then they'll blend those two together. So bourbon and Oloroso sherry are used to age something like an Irish whiskey. But then um, for bourbon in the U.S., bourbon uses only new aged or new charred oak barrels. That's, that's the rule for bourbon. Matt, to go back a little bit, I guess, to a very fundamental level, how would you define whiskey in and of itself? Explain to us or folks listening that had, had no concept of whiskey or what it is. What's your definition? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the easiest definition is it's a distilled spirit, but it's usually a grain, you know, it's going to be a grain spirit. And it started because farmers had too much grain. You know, farmers, from, from the day that we uh, started agriculture, we had too much barley, too much corn, um, too much grain of whatever kind, then we could feed our family. And there, there were no trains, there were no, you know, uh, uh, shipping routes to get those grains to other people to sell to try to make money off of it so what did the farmers do they distilled it they turned it into whiskey because it would never go bad and so that's where it really started and so uh, bourbon is a form of whiskey scotch is a form of whiskey irish whiskey is a form of whiskey so uh, they're all under the umbrella of whiskey if you use an e it basically means you're in the United States. <laughs> and if you just use a Y, it basically means you're overseas that, you know, and each one do it, they do it differently. You know, um, uh, I believe it's, I want to say it's old Forester. It might be old Forester that uses just the Y and that's actually a nod to their, uh, their founding, one of their founding owners that, uh, came over, from from Scotland, so that was a little you know a little tip of the cap to their their origins because they they knew that over there they just spilled it with a Y. But it doesn't matter if you use a knee or or don't don't use a knee. It doesn't matter. Now how about like a Tennessee whiskey? Is that just a phrase or is that an, is it an actual thing? Well, something like Jack Daniels, they you know they use a certain process, and a lot of it involves the charcoal mellowing. So they will um, they will basically use uh, um, bits of charcoal to help filter some of that whiskey as they're as they're filtering it out and the charcoal mellows it a little bit and that process you know uh, folks at Jack Daniels they, they want to just keep keep that trademark you know process so um, anything that's labeled Tennessee whiskey it's really more just a nod to uh, the pride that they have of where it's coming from you know um, Good old, mid, good old good old Midwesterners. There's nothing like a good mid, Midwestern pride, you know. Whether it be from Kentucky or Tennessee, they're gonna put that on the label if they can, because they're proud of it. So when you're doing these tasting, what you know, like you said, you guys are gonna be pouring out. If I had four good whiskey drinks, I'm gonna start feeling pretty good, and all of it's gonna taste good. So what is the the limit to where you say, okay, we only do two because you know, then we start getting a little fuzzy in the head or <laughs> is there a, is there a certain ladder that you, you, you go up and say, Oh, well, if we're going to do this tasting, like you had talked about, you, you guys all get together. I know if I got together and had 12 buddies and we did 12 rounds, I'm, I'm in trouble. Yeah. Well, especially you... with whiskey beer, I'm going to feel like a bloated pig, but <laughs> with whiskey, I'm going to be doing something I'm, that I'm, my wife's not going to be real proud of. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, there's, <laughs> there's definitely something that, most people that are into whiskey probably don't even want to share. And that's that we, we've all had that night where we've had too much, you know, there it's very easy when it's tasting good, it's going down well. But for me, if I'm just comparing uh, one whiskey to another, I don't want to do more than three or four. And I'm only going to pour just maybe one ounce, if that just enough to get a taste of it, because once you taste one and then you can move on to the next one, you can get a comparison with just a really small sip. You don't have to really take a full shot, you know, to, to get the nuance and to get the flavor. 
But yeah, you definitely have to be careful about tasting more than one. Now, if I'm with my friends just around a fire pit, we're not going to be too much, uh, you know, uh, nosing and, and, and picking out the little nuances. We're just going to be gathering with each other, you know, and that's, that's the best way to share whiskey. If you ask me, the only way to really enjoy whiskey is to share it with a friend. So what is your favorite one? Well, I, you know, I'm really partial to rye whiskey. Um, and, uh, rye whiskey has a lot of variants, uh, to be considered a rye. It has to be 51% rye. The rest can be a combination of corn and malted barley, but it has to be at least 51% rye, whereas bourbon has to be at least 51% corn. That's the main distinction. Uh, so I, I lean more towards rye. Usually, if I had to pick a favorite, and I don't have a bottle with me, but um, the Colonel, the Colonel E.H. Taylor makes a rye, a straight rye whiskey. That's got to be one of my favorite. Um, it's about 80 or 90 bucks on retail. Um, but there's another one that's a little more easier to find. And, uh, this wilderness trail, it'll run you about $60, I'd say. Um, they're from Kentucky, but they are really doing some interesting things with, with rye whiskey. And it's got a good balance of, of, uh, pepper spices, some mint, some clovers, some cinnamon spices. Really. I like a good spice, um, spicy flavor to my whiskey. And uh, that's why if I'm drinking a bourbon, I lean more towards the higher rye bourbons, but uh, that would be one of my favorites for sure. Now, are, are you smoking a cigar when you're drinking that? Because I know a lot of my whiskey, my whiskey drinking friends like those big cigars. You know, I used to, I used to, uh, but uh, you know, I, uh, I had to cut that out. <laughs> it was a long story, but there's a, there's a little bit of, little bit of cancer in the family and, and so I, uh, I, I promised my wife I would, I would no longer do that. So I, as much as I do miss that once in a while, but, uh, you know, there, there are good things you can pair with whiskey, uh, besides a cigar, uh, something like, um, dark chocolate. If you ever get a, a, a good spicy bourbon or a spicy rye whiskey, get yourself a little bit of that dark chocolate and then taste those kind of back and forth together. And you can really, it's, it's interesting what, what that'll do. And then, um, Something else might be um, something creamy, like um, like maybe even ice cream, uh, just because that what that'll do to your mouth, the, the fatty the fatty oils and the fatty um, creaminess in that ice cream. Then you just uh, take a sip of whiskey, and what that'll do to to your taste buds is pretty pretty amazing. Now, did you start, Matt, when you started first drinking whiskey? Were you tasting the specific ingredients in there? Did you ever did you pay attention to it? There had to be, I guess, a discernible point there when you decided to start paying more notice being more of an art than just drinking it how did you how did you get that point where you could pick out the individual flavors definitely definitely oh yeah you know like i said even when i was drinking wine uh more with with my wife with meals and with dinner i was starting to pick out you know some of those things and we would even go to tastings uh at wineries or whatever and um i was amazed at what i could you know kind of pick up it was only after i kind of got away from beer and, and started to drink whiskey more, uh, you know, by itself and, and, and exclusively drink whiskey that I started to really appreciate, you know, those, those different flavors. Um, but if you, if you don't slow down and take your time with it, 
then you know like like shed said it, it can get it can get out of control if you're just drinking it like like you would a, a glass of lemonade or something <laughs> like that <laughs> things get fuzzy quick don't they yeah yeah now moonshine i know moonshine is is clear you know but are they basically the same thing as moonshine just moonshine because they made it in the middle of the night during prohibition and such or is there more to it than that yeah well moonshine is just another word for the distillate that comes off of the still and so if you don't put it in a barrel it's moonshine now in those distilleries in kentucky they won't call it moonshine they'll call it distillate or they'll call it white dog or white lightning but once it goes into the barrel, then it becomes it becomes whiskey, whether it's bourbon or rye or whatever. But moonshine is basically right off the still. Yeah. When they put it into those barrels, like say for example, like the moonshine or the Everclears of the of the world that are out there, those are well over, you know, what are they? 190 proof or what they call it. As they put that into those barrels, does that how are they getting the the uh, you know proof whether it's 40 68 how are they how are they gauging that yeah that's that's a great question and and uh, uh, for for bourbon there are specific rules you know it has to go into the barrel um, at uh, I believe 120 or less 120 proof or less they can't put it in any higher than that and even off of the distillate you can't distill it at uh, more than 160, I believe. And so basically, with any grain, if you distill it more and more and more, and it becomes 180, 190, it's it's no longer going to be bourbon. It's vodka, or it's going to be something else. Uh, the distinction is that that 160 level, and then they will add water to it to bring it down to 120 in order to put it in the barrel at 120. And now once it's in that barrel, that really just depends on the conditions, where it is, if it's um, someplace like uh, in MGP in Indiana, where they have climate controlled warehouses, or if it's in Kentucky in an old, an old wooden rack house where the summers can get really hot and the winters can get really cold, you'll get different variations because the water will evaporate at certain temperatures and the alcohol will evaporate at certain temperatures and that's always what they call the angel share the angel share is what the barrel loses over time right and so if you were to have a lot of alcohol evaporate then that barrel might be uh, a lower proof but if you had more water evaporate well then you're going to have a higher proof whiskey coming out of that barrel and but at the end of the day before they put it in the bottle they can always add water to it. So if it's a budget bourbon, they're gonna water it down to 80 proof, no matter where it is out of that barrel, because they want consistency in flavor and in proof. But then something like a stag, uh, George T. Stag, that's the Buffalo Trace antique collection, that's gonna come right from the barrel, right into the bottle. And you're gonna get whatever proof comes that year. So if it's 123, Point four proof. That's the that's the proof of the whiskey you're gonna get. How long are they letting them sit in those barrels? Just depends on the whiskey. It does. It depends. And um, for something like uh, for Kentucky, 
to label it uh, Kentucky straight bourbon, it has to be at least two years. Now, for something like a bottled and bond, that's got even more restrictions. That's going to have to be a minimum of four years. It can be more, but it has to be a minimum of four years. There are labeling laws. There's, you know, uh, it, it seems like there's more restrictions on whiskey than there is on, on the food and the drugs that we use. But like uh, if you want to label it Kentucky straight, but it's less than four, you have to state the age on the bottle. So like three month, three years and two months, you got to put that on the bottle. Matt, are there any differences from the different countries that make whiskey, bourbon, scotch, which you prefer over another? Or is whiskey in the United States as good as it is anywhere? Or there's a particular country that is a kind of a level above. Well, you know, I think even the greatest bourbon makers will, will tell you that if we go back in history, you know, they learned it from someone overseas that brought it over you know history tells us that america is much much younger than than england and, and scotland but um you know it, it just depends on what your palate is really uh you know there are definitely people out there that that will swear up and down that scotch has more um, diverse flavors more nuance and then there are those that you know will just say i'm just proud to drink american and i'll just stick with bourbon and rye and that's fine too, you know. The thing that really gets into it is the the price, and there are tariffs right now uh, on on shipping goods back and forth. It's a real pity because a lot of it is due to the the Boeing and the Airbus uh, lawsuits with international trade. And if anybody knows Boeing and Airbus, that has nothing to do with whiskey. <laughs> but somewhere down the line, they started taxing things back and forth and. And then, you know, we taxed this and then they taxed that. And so now uh, to have a bottle of whiskey from Scotland all the way in, in America, you're going to pay a lot more than, than you used to. And so I'm, I'm leaning more towards bourbons and rye only because it's going to break my bank if I drink only scotch and Irish, you know. How does a person discern the, the good stuff from the great stuff or the, again, that bottom shelf? How do you, what determines all that? Yeah, well, that's that's one of the best parts about me hosting this tournament and blinding all of the participants is because hopefully they will just give their honest answers to what they taste and what they like. And then afterwards, I can tell them, you know, this is what you're drinking. This is from, you know, Japan and it runs this or this is from, you know, good old Kentucky and it only costs fourteen dollars. You know that. That's the best part about blinding yourself. And I will often, if I'm comparing whiskeys, I will I'll pour them in my glass and then I will, you know, label the bottom of the glass. I'll just put a little sticker on the bottom and then I'll mix them up and I will try to blind myself. That way I'm, you know, giving an honest comparison just solely on taste before I, I let those labels influence you because you can get a real fancy a real fancy box and a real fancy tube and you can see a price sticker and you can think, Oh, well that must be good. It costs 60 some, some dollars, but you can take it home and open it and be like, eh, tastes like grass to me or, you know, whatever. The, the best thing to do is, is to start with what you can afford, start with what you can compare with and then, you know, branch out from there. How, how would you tell a, a person who's gone from 
maybe not drinking it at all to guzzling it. How to how would how to start drinking whiskey from the aspect that you're coming from? What are the steps, or how should they go about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I can I can uh, steal this from some of the greatest uh, tour guides down in Kentucky, and they'll tell you to just take a, a little bit of water and put it in your mouth. Take a small sip of water, and then take a small and leave the water in your mouth, and then take a small sip of of whatever you're drinking. And that's going to immediately do the same thing as like mixing with Coke or mixing with something. It's going to dilute that alcohol. And then you're going to be able to taste some of the flavors. And then what you can do is you can slowly take a smaller and smaller sip of water until you're getting more and more whiskey. Uh, that's what you can do just in one sitting. But over time, I would just recommend to like Shed does, you know, mix it with whatever you want and then, you know, try different things. Try to maybe um, increase the ratio. So maybe it's a little little less Coke and a little more whiskey and just see what you can pick out, uh, what you like among those whiskeys. And then and then from there, you know, try to see if you can go just with an ice cube or, or even just a, a, a glass neat. Now, are the terms like double barrel, single barrel, is that, are those actual terms? Uh, and if they are, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah, well, any anytime something's double barreled, it usually just means that they took it so from its another? primary source and just took it into another another barrel for the purpose of flavoring, and and so um, like um, like the Woodford double oaked, that's going to be the basic Woodford Reserve barreled for the basic right. amount of time, and then they're going to take it out of that barrel and put it into another barrel for a short period of time. Uh, whether it's a little more heavily toasted or a little more uh, different char levels, that's going to give different nuances, you know, but they can't call it bourbon because it's no longer in that new charred oak barrel straight to the bottom. You know, they have to call it whiskey. That's my favorite. My favorite is probably Woodford Reserve. Yeah, they've been toasting barrels longer than than a lot of, you know, these newer uh, labels coming out with toasted barrel this or toasted barrel that. They've been doing that for a long time and just never bothered labeling it. But it, that's a good whiskey. Now, Ship, is a lot of this news to you? Or do you just, I mean, do you like the Woodward for Reserve, for example? Just, you, you do like the taste of it, obviously. But it, Yeah, I, well, I used to, um, my my boss's family, his, his ex-wife's family, they were, uh, or they are, shareholders in Brown Form. And his ex-wife's grandfather made the acquisition of Bot Jack Daniels. So he introduced me to Woodford Reserve. And so for a few years at Christmas, I'd get a couple giant bottles and party like an animal <laughs> <laughs> when I could. But I, the, the Woodford to me is it's really smooth, tastes well, and I can just about drink it by itself. But uh, that's just me. A lot, a lot of times, like if I drink a Crown or or Jack and Coke, I gotta, ha I gotta have kind of something with it. But Woodford always was kind of smoother, not as, I don't know what you call it, as sharp or, you know, didn't give you that. You drink it and go, huh! <laughs> and it felt like your your throat was on fire. <laughs> Do you get some oak? Can you can you can you taste some of the oak barrel when you drink it? Um, I, I don't. You know, I never really thought about that. I, I just. Um, I, and honestly, I never thought about that till we, till you had kind of brought it up and talked about it, the different flavors. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've tried like, what is it, the, the maple crowns and, and some of that stuff where they've 
mix the flavoring in with it and you can taste that but i've just i guess i've never really thought about can you taste the oak barrels or can you taste certain things usually i've just been in a situation where let's hammer down <laughs> and, and not really sat back and and went oh, hey this is good now i do like my wine at night and so a lot of times me and, well, me and my wife buy a lot of different bottles of wines and we'll, and we'll try that and uh, some of them you know different flavoring and what we like but uh i've never really done it much with whiskey and then and i've always kind of on the beer side of things too i'm, I'm kind of particular there's a lot of beers i just don't like i'm not a i guess you'd say a microbrewery guy where you know they you know if you go to somewhere that's got 20 different beers you can try i'm probably going to go give me a bud light because i know it tastes good <laughs> yeah you, i mean you like what you like and you should drink what you what you like you know that's yeah. that's rule number one man what, what do you recommend for a beginner if you're going to recommend uh, a whiskey for them to get started on what would it be yeah i mean i i would say anything that's lower proof you know like like we're talking about if if you don't want to uh burn them out too soon with something that's too high proof something that's going to be 80 proof or 86 proof that's that's the minimum for um for it to be considered whiskey once you get below 80 it's it's going to be more of a of a label like a liqueur or a uh, some kind of generic term like like a neutral grain spirit or whatever, but you can't call it whiskey or bourbon if if it's if it's lower than than eighty proof. I'm I'm kind of partial to Heaven Hill, um, but uh, this this Evan Williams seventeen eighty three small batch, uh, that's that's a really good starter. You know, it might have a little bit of a thin feel in the mouth, but it it's got some good. It's eighty proof, I, I believe. I can read it in the dark here but uh i think it's 86 proof but it's it's got some some cherry flavors to it you can actually pick up some some red fruit um out of, out of that and then i would move up slowly in, into into higher proof things and i try to avoid a lot of the, the double barrels like you were saying a lot of the, the extra finished things but i don't necessarily think that that's uh, something that one would have to avoid, you know, if you're, if you come across a bottle that, that is within your price range and you crack it open and you really like it, then go for it. But, but definitely if I was going to tell someone to uh, get into scotch, I would not have them start with uh, single malts. I would have them start with blended scotches. So like a Johnny Walker, um, you know, like a Highland Park that's going to have just a little bit of that peat smoke to it without smacking them in the face too hard. And then they could slowly branch into into things that might be a heavier smoke uh, with the flavors. Tell me about the, the blended again. What what makes a, a blended scotch? Yeah, so, so, you know, everyone likes to use the term master distiller and everyone likes to... Um, give the ultimate respect to the master distiller because he's the guy uh, making sure that everything's coming off the still, you know, um, as good as it can be for that quality spirit. But the, the real art is in the master blender. So he's going to take, you know, a barrel of this and, and a barrel of that, and they're going to marry that together to not only create something that tastes good, but that's going to taste the same every single time they release those bottles. You know, that, that's what's really amazing, that they can take a barrel of, of unpeated scotch uh, from something like um, 
you know, the, the space side or the highlands, then they can take a, a peated scotch from Isla and they can mix those together to create something that's sweet and smoky. But, but to be consistent with that, that, that's what really impresses me, you know, with the master blenders. So any kind of, any kind of a blend, it's going to um, usually uh, just say whiskey, perhaps, or it might, say, it might say blended scotch whiskey. But if it says single malt, that's going uh, to be uh, from a single distillery as, as opposed to a, to a blend. You know, switching little gears on you, you have been uh, mentioned on Tony Kornheiser's show, I believe, twice now. Tell us, uh, you know, <laughs> those that don't know, you know, of course, Tony Kornheiser and Michael Wilbon have done PTI, and Tony Kornheiser has his own show on ESPN. How did that come about? Yeah, well, I can I can give a quick story as to as to how you and I know each other. Yeah, Joby. we've we've got a mutual friend. Uh, shout out to Jared Brown of High Ridge, Missouri. He, <laughs> That's uh, right. He hosts, uh, or he helps organize these trips to Glacier Park, and uh, Joby and I have done some hiking together, and that's how we formed this friendship. But um, Jared got me on the Tony Kornheiser podcast because we both have a love for sports, and and uh, just the way that uh, Tony does that podcast, it just you know, it's just down to earth, and he doesn't really care much about what anybody thinks. And Jared and I were were, were talking one night sharing stories and and jared said you know that story would uh be good on the tony kornheiser show and so I, we both just kind of you know got giddy about it and i i just <laughs> typed up a quick email not really thinking at all that i would be chosen because he must he must say no to a million emails oh. he reads a bunch but you can only imagine that he says no to to 10 or 12 to every one that he reads and so i you know i was tickled when when he read that email and, and shared that story uh, I can I can post the link to the the story some other time if you want. Then I I just kind of randomly got a, a wild hair to to answer another topic that he brought up, and so I sent him another email. This time I the, the correct pronunciation of my of my last name because <laughs> my last name gets abused quite a bit, and uh, and and he read the email and he even got the name right, and and I didn't I didn't tell Jared. And he just, you know, he just texted me uh, that night. He's like, you sandbagging, you know. <laughs> he was surprised, too. Yeah, but not, yeah, it's... not an easy show to get on there. And uh, I don't remember, I don't remember the story, but the words you used is one of the one of the best written things that I that I'd heard. So I'm sure that drew his attention because it was so well written. Yeah, you've been yeah. on there twice now within the last, what, six months, I guess. Something like that. In there last year, at least. Yeah, yeah. Matt and I met going through Jared to Montana, and you know Matt's six four, probably at least, aren't you, Matt? You six four, is that right? Yeah. What yeah. What, what will you weigh? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I you know back then I was probably pushing two sixty. Yeah. So he's six four two sixty, and now we had some guys there, and I'm I'm not one of them, but we had some guys there that flat get after it. You know, young guys that can, and Matt outworked everyone. I mean, outworked everyone. I was in the back end most of the time, just you know making sure I had things covered in the back. So, you know, just to protect them, of course. But, I mean, Matt was a hiking son of a gun. Those young guys, 5'10 and 160 pounds, I mean, they couldn't keep up with him. He, he's a he's a monster. And we climbed some, well, one was about 14 miles, I think. And ran into, uh, you ran ran into Jack Hanna, the, the animal guy that's been on, like, Letterman. And then you ran into uh, 
Ron Swanson, right? That as his yeah. name on the I don't know what what's his yeah, real Nick, name. Yeah, Nick Offerman. Yeah. Nick Offerman was hiking actually with um with uh, the the lead singer from Wilco. That's right. I saw both of them, but I didn't I didn't recognize you did. Yeah. Now Jack now Jack Hanna's retired. So I grew up in Ohio and of course the Columbus Zoo, which he's head over. That's right. And uh he's uh retiring from there. He's been around that area forever. Yeah, he 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 may still, you know, it it's not that rare the way he phrased it. Um, if you're on, if you're at Glacier National Park and you're hiking the the Grinnell, is it the Grinnell Glacier hike? There's a good chance you're going to run into him because him and his wife, he says they hike that almost every year. That's one of his favorite hikes. Sure. Oh, that's amazing. He kind of just goes there, doesn't he? Just kind of like get in shape for what he does, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he was, you know, he talked about some of those young guys. I think he would put us all to shame. He yeah, was just hiking so. like, a, like a champ. Yeah, he was in good shape. Well, Matt, what did we miss? I can speak for myself. I'm not even a novice, so whatever's below a novice. So what did we miss that you would like to have been asked or that you would like to tell? Well, I guess I guess the only thing I would say when it comes to, uh, to the art of hunting would be that, you know, um, the, the best way to have success would, would be to, to get to know your, your owners, get to know your liquor store owners. And um, if you just walk in and you just shout, you know, do you, you got any pappy? And then they say no. And then you just storm out, you know, ch- chances are they're, they're not going to show you anything that comes, you know, if they have anything on the back shelf. Um, but, but they, they will if you if you buy something once in a while and you get to know them and you show that you're a regular customer, you know that that's how the best way to to form relationships. But the the only way to really find it is to get out there. Just like finding that great deer, you know, you're not going to find it on your couch. You got to get out there, right? Yeah, and so right. it's it's uh, running across a different store, pop in and just see what they have, and you know, be nice to the the owner and, and just say, you know, just looking, but. Uh, once in a while, if you find the right store, show them a little bit of, you know, show them a little bit of love, you know, give them, buy your wine there, buy your tequila there, and then you never know what, what might come. So Now, one thing Shed does is Shed does some hog hunting. I could see this being, and Shed doesn't, I mean, may shoot him with rifles or a bow, but he likes to do it like with a knife up close. I could see him after that, because it's got to be a heck of an adrenaline rush, not to mention if a hog got a hold of you, that what they would do to you. And so it's got to be an adrenaline rush for them to be able to have you a nice a nice uh, glass of whiskey or a shot of whiskey or whatever. It seems like a good combo to me. What do you think, Shit? I drink it before I go. That way <laughs> That's probably best. I, yeah, the nerves are gone. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, you got time for about five kind of quick questions? Yeah, sure. Fire away. All right. What's your favorite whiskey of all time? Well, yeah, besides that Colonel Taylor straight ride, um, I would have to go with this, uh, this Pikesville ride. It's another Heaven Hill product. It's about 110 proof. And it's one of those that um, kind of a barely legal ride. So it's got a good amount of corn to it. So it's, it has a bourbony flavor to it. But I would say it's a good introduction to rye whiskey. If you could have witnessed any event of the past, what would it have been? Doesn't have to be whiskey related, or it can be, but what would yeah, it be? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, to keep it whiskey related, I think I'd <laughs> have to be, I would love to be present for um, the days of, of the Colonel 
Colonel E.H. Taylor and how he had that uh, the Bottled and Bond Act passed because, you know, um, up until that point, there was from tobacco spit to honeycombs and anything else thrown into the barrel and they didn't have to put on the label. The Bottled and Bond Act changed that. It came before the Food and Drug Act. So we cared more about the quality of our whiskey before we cared about food and drugs. So that tells you right there how important that is. Yeah, it's all about the priorities, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> What's one thing you look forward to the most when it comes to trying, testing, experiencing the types of and brands of whiskey? Yeah, it's it's got to be sharing with friends. You know, as much as I enjoy cracking open a new bottle and maybe tasting it and, and, and posting about it, there's nothing better than uh, inviting a few friends over and just, um, you know, sharing that with each other. Now, if you go to Montana this summer, what, what are you looking to bring? Um, you know, I, I think I might have to just wait and surprise you. Right. We'll have to wait and see. What was that you brought a few couple years ago? It was the McAllen. McAllen, yep, the McAllen, that's right. Um, 15 year fine oak. Yeah. Last question. If you could have only three songs on your musical playlist, what would they be and why? Oh, man. You know, th this, this is a hard one because I'm a huge music lover. You are. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break some rules here, and I'm going <laughs> to play, I'm gonna play dirty here. So um, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of rock and roll. So as much as I might throw in uh, Foo Fighters or uh, Manchester Orchestra, I'm going to say um, Interstate Love Song by Stone Temple Pilots. And then for my second song, as much as I like, um, you know, something easy listening to, I'm going to give a shout out to my to my local Missouri St. Louis guy, um, Jay, who's uh, the singer for Sunvolt. I don't know if anybody's heard of Sunvolt. Yeah, most people not from Missouri haven't heard of Sunvolt, but they've they've got some really good songs. But their their most popular song is. Um, is drowned by by Sunbolt, and then um now, do you know them joby no uh, joby you know he, he's uh, joby you know i am and that's I'm, I'm holding out hope right now shed that i'm i'm probably number three but i told him beforehand don't include me we'll just take that as a given so it's like he's answering with four i didn't know being from missouri if you knew those guys yeah, no no i, I don't yeah. if it ain't country i probably don't know it yeah and as for, for my third, I think I'd have to give a shout out to someone uh, old school, you know, from from the roots. Here, so, here it know, is. Thank you. You're, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I, I could um, I could easily listen to to something something smooth like uh, Forsha Creek or <laughs> uh, uh, Chris Stapleton or uh, Stur, you know Sturgill. Um, there you go. But I, I think I, I think I would give a nod to, to uh, Big River by Johnny Cash. So okay, hey, you can't you can't go wrong there. Well, Matt, thank you. Anything? Any last words? Anything we missed? No, man. I I, I think uh, this was great, and I, I hope it was fun. And I really appreciate. I you know the one thing, you know, I like I said, I don't know the first thing about hunting, but the way you guys treat each other and the way you guys treat your guests it it's really a positive welcoming vibe i think that there's not enough of that in this world and so you've got a fan because <laughs> you know i just love 
I love the positivity that, you know, and I'm learning something as I go too. You know, I, I now know what uh, 160 and 150 means. I had to look <laughs> it up, but you know, it's, it's really neat. So, so we never, um, we never die by that. Sometimes. That's right. <laughs> So, yeah, I, right. I wish you all the success, you know. So, I, I appreciate, appreciate that, Matthew. And hopefully we'll be able to get together this summer, maybe the, maybe the next one, you know, sometime here soon. So thanks for spending some time with us. Uh, you're, you're a sharper guy as I've been around. And when you do something, I mean, you do it and you study it and you know it. You, you've been outstanding. So I've learned, learned a great deal from you. So thanks for spending some time with us. Well, I just appreciate it. it was, I really learned really learned a lot. I just – I really enjoyed it. I, I told uh, – Joby, before we did this, I'm like, this is going to be a really good one because I, I, this is something that uh, it's very interesting to me how all that that works. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. It was uh, really, uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah, my pleasure. My we'll, pleasure. We'll do a revisit down the road. Thank you, Mr. Welge. All right. Thanks. Cheers. Same to you. Shed, have a good weekend. Yep, I'll do it. All right. Go pick up my kids. Well, enjoy and have a good one. You too. Thank you for spending time today with Shed and I and our guest, Mr. Matt Welge, the unofficial whiskey hunter. Please check him out on Facebook and his Whiskey Wise Facebook group. Please assist us by liking and rating today's episode and also by subscribing to the Foshi Creek Podcast. We are not a sponsored podcast, so the only way we can reach a broader audience is by word of mouth and the number of subscriptions, likes, and positive ratings that we receive. Please share our content on your social media platforms and with all your hunting and whiskey drinking friends. Thank you again for listening, and as always, we learned everything we knew down on Foshi Creek.